motherhood is often seen as this kind of soft, gentle kind of role, but really it's like a fierce role. And that caring is, is fierce in that you would do anything for your kids. I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Ai Jen Poo, co-founder and executive director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, a nonprofit working to bring quality work, dignity, and fairness to the growing numbers of workers who care and clean in our homes, the majority of whom are immigrants and women of color. As I sat down to prepare for my interview with iGen, I was struck and a bit intimidated by all she has fought for and accomplished as a fierce advocate for women. iGen has been recognized for her accomplishments as she was named one of the 100 most influential people in Time Magazine and was awarded a MacArthur Fellowship Genius Grant. The breadth and power of her work is remarkable, yet iGen is humble, relatable, and wise. She attributes her success to the very same women whose voices she works to amplify. Inspired by her mother and grandmother who raised her, iGen realizes the power of care squads and communities in raising children. She advocates for domestic workers who, as she describes it, work a triple shift. They have their job or multiple jobs, their moms, and their advocates fighting for change from these systems and policies that oppress them. At a policy level, iGen is fighting for universal family care because she believes that everyone deserves affordable childcare, paid leave, elder care, and assistance for people with disabilities. What if our country's leaders all acted with the same compassion? What if they listened first to the needs of our people and then figured out policies and systems to support them? We're trying that approach at neighbor schools as we work to address the childcare crisis in our nation and I was so inspired by our conversation. Our country needs to turn our attention to leaders like iGen to listen, then act on the needs of our mothers. Thank you so much for joining us today and, and being part of Work Like a Mother. We're delighted to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. I am so excited to learn more about your roots in activism and what in, inspired you to become an activist. Is that something that started at a young age for you? Yeah, I think so. Um, my mom said that I did my first fundraising effort when I was in first grade. Um, so, so about as young as you can get. <laughs> um, but I would say that it probably started in earnest um, in high school when I got involved in the women's forum in high school and environmental groups and um, just kind of got 
the bug of the idea that we could, that our actions could result in changes in the world. Um, and, you know, as I grew older, I came to understand just how powerful that could be. What was that first spark like? What drew you to this women's activist group in high school? You know, um, I was raised by really strong women, my grandmother and my mom. And I think as a child, I just kind of watched as they did everything. They just, they took care of our family. They worked, they always had, they were powering everything in our household and so much in our extended networks. And I think I just assumed that since women are powering everything, that they would be in charge of everything, Mm. right? (laughs) And calling the shots. And I think as I grew older, I came to realize that that's actually not the case. And, um, and there was something deeply wrong about that to me. And, uh, so I got involved in the Women's Forum to try to lift up women's voices and um, fight for gender equality in my little context. And then it kind of grew from there. Tell us a little bit more about how it grew. Um, did you continue to be an activist in college? Did that take on a new mm-hmm. shape? Yeah. So in college, um, a few things happened. One is that I went to college in New York City, and there's such a vibrant community of activism in New York City. And um, I got involved in volunteering at a domestic violence shelter for Asian immigrant women. And I worked the hotline. Since my grandmother raised me, I'm bilingual, and I could speak Mandarin. So I volunteered on the hotline. And so many of the calls that came in from women were calls that actually weren't about the abuse they were facing. They were about the everyday struggles that women have taking care of their families. And so many women working extraordinarily long hours, working so hard and still not able to pay the bills and make ends meet. And I just was so struck by that fact that how come women are working so hard and they still can't cover the basics and take care of the people that they love. And I think that really struck me and drove me to want to make work work better for women. <laughs> um, and, and it also gave me a window onto so many jobs like domestic jobs, care work, um, beauty parlor work, all these jobs in low-wage service um, industries where they're totally powered by women. They wouldn't exist if it weren't for women. And yet women are not benefiting in terms of basic economic security or the ability to provide for their families. And so that's kind of what put me on this path of organizing domestic workers. And and I haven't looked back. It's really been my whole entire life. <laughs> I feel like that's probably pretty rare too, to find something that you're so passionate about and start it in high school and then have this incredible trajectory in your career that's stayed true to that to that kernel. Um, yeah, and it doesn't feel like this even thread at all. It, it does feel like I kind of just followed the women, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love that, followed the women. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, first following my grandma and my mom around and then um, following these incredible women who just against the odds were making it work every single day and and then, you know, going to work, taking care of their kids, and then showing up for meetings to organize and advocate for change. We call it the triple shift, right? The third shift of doing the work to try to make life better and to improve conditions for your community and, and in the country. And um, I just have followed their lead uh, all along the way. And it's really a privilege. It's such a I feel like so many people grapple with finding their lane and finding their calling and finding their sense of purpose. And I've just been so fortunate. It does feel like a privilege to have kind of been making this road as I walk it, you know. What do you see as the challenges and the the issues that you're tackling right now with your work? Um, well, so many of the issues that women struggle with are deeply interconnected, right? Um, so on the one hand, I'm working with domestic workers who are working inside of our homes, providing caregiving and cleaning services, and the wages are low. There's no access to a safety net. There's no paid sick days or paid time off. There's no job security, and it's often really unpredictable whether or when you're going to work um, and whether you'll have time for your own family. And in the context of a pandemic, some of these women have been working throughout the entire public health crisis as essential workers. And in some cases, like home care workers, they are the only lifeline to some of the people who are the most vulnerable to the virus itself, like older people, our elders, our loved mm -hmm. ones with disabilities. And they're having to pay out of pocket for safety measures like PPE or um, COVID tests or access to health care. And they're not getting any kind of hazard pay. And so they came into the pandemic without the ability to stock up on groceries or supplies and all of the burden of safety in this time is falling on the shoulders of the women with the least amount of power and agency in the situation. And I'm kind of watching that unfold. And then I'm watching just like the whole country implode with struggling with caregiving right? <laughs> like so many moms, I, I'm on every Zoom call I'm on, there's kids crawling on the parents and um, everyone's struggling with online learning and how to manage that. And our parents are getting evacuated from nursing homes and it's just so scary. And we're so ill-equipped for this moment, and it's because it's been kind of a crisis that's been building where families just don't have the support that they need to care for the people that they love. And so that's the other piece I'm working on is how do we have caregiving systems mm -hmm. that really work and support us the way that our infrastructure, our roads, our bridges, our tunnels are enabling things to happen in our world we should have a strong infrastructure for care to support our families, as, especially as we're working. And I think we have a really unique moment with this pandemic to now that we're all so clear how important care is in our lives, 
and it's kind of front and center in our minds every single day that we might actually be able to move the solutions that we've needed for a very long time. Your optimism is just radiating through and it's giving me such positive energy and and hope um, in a time that I think is really challenging both personally and in the, the larger world. What do you see as the biggest opportunities for moving forward? I think there's a huge opportunity to really invest in our care economy, our caregiving jobs, child care, home care, long-term care, the jobs that support us um, with our caregiving needs. If those jobs became uh, part of a jobs plan in this Mm -hmm. country, it would not only benefit those workers and their families, but those are job enabling jobs, right? They make it possible for all of us to go to work and be a part of the recovery to get America back to work. We need good care. Um, And so I'm really um, pushing and advocating for um, the care economy to be a big part of our economic recovery strategy. And I think for the first time, more economists and policymakers are starting to recognize why that's important, but we'll, we're really going to need a push. So we're going to need all of your listeners to help with that effort if we're going to get it done. You mentioned a few moments ago about the, the challenges that you see people facing, especially working women um, during the, the pandemic. How are you juggling this for your family? You know, you mentioned the challenges, and I just can't even fathom the reality that in September alone, more than 800,000 women, Mm -hmm. disproportionately women of color, left the formal workforce largely because of caregiving challenges. And if we don't act quickly, that pattern is just going to continue to unfold. And generations of work that we've done to try to achieve equity in our workforce is just going to be washed away. And so it's totally vital and it's super important to me personally. Um, I'm lucky because um, I have a nine-year-old stepdaughter and she's got four parents. And so we have a a good adult to child ratio, four (laughs) to one. (laughs) And we're, we're really a squad. We're a team um, that works together to make sure that she is cared for and helping her navigate online learning. And we're also really fortunate because she's part of a learning pod um, where our friends, Julie and Brett, have hosted a few girls um, to be able to uh, go through this online learning experience together so that she's not alone and isolated as a child at this age. And that's been really important. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the emotional and mental toll that it's taken on her to have to navigate all of this Mm -hmm. and us as parents to figure out how to parent and how to be present when we're all struggling to navigate all of this change and uncertainty. It's just incredibly stressful. And I just think about how caregiving in general is hard enough, right? We, being a parent is like, it's so complicated. It brings out 
all of the challenges and experiences that have shaped who you are in good and also not so good ways. And you have to kind of manage that in every second of the day. And that is hard enough, let alone the reality of not having childcare, not being able to afford childcare, not being able to um, spend the kind of time that you need with your kid because your job requires you to work overtime all the time. You know, there's just so many economic pressures that we have placed on ourselves. And these are choices that policymakers have made and we can make a different set of choices. Um, that is, and I think that it has to be our future because this is not, it's not fair and it's not sustainable. I love this idea of what you just mentioned with this squad and this concept of a care squad, which sounds like it's something that you use in your daily life. Can you tell a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's it's based on the idea that caregiving in the 21st century is is a team effort. And, um, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. And I actually think it takes a village just to care in general. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it is, we have a situation right now demographically in our country where 10,000 people turn 65 every day. And because of advances in healthcare, people are living longer. So we're about to have the largest older population we've ever had in this country. And the millennial generation is having families to the tune of about 4 million babies born per year. So we are a country that needs more care than ever before at a time when we have less of it because most working age adults have to work outside the home to make mm -hmm. ends meet. And so we actually have to figure this out and it's going to require families stepping up, uh, workers having good sustainable jobs in the care industry so that they can do this work as a profession and sustain in it. Um, and it's going to require friends, extended family, neighbors, networks, like it's kind of an all hands on deck situation. And I think rather than kind of deny it and feel bad about it, right, when we need help, we sometimes just feel bad. We feel like mm -hmm. we're a bad parent or we're a bad child. No, we should embrace it. We should celebrate it. And we should invest in those relationships that make it possible for our loved ones to have care and not think about it from a scarcity standpoint, but rather one of abundance. And so the, the squad concept is one that is meant to kind of, kind of celebrate the teams that we create for ourselves to make it all work um, so that we can, yeah, so that we can invest in them. You also have a vision for universal family care. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, yes. This is my dream. And this is our dream. Our dream is that we in this country one day have one fund that we all contribute to, that we can all benefit from, that helps us pay for childcare, paid leave, and long-term care, support for our loved ones with disabilities, basically everything we need to take care of our families while we're working. And it's just like a simple idea that in the 21st century, we're expected to work and we have families. 
And we should design our systems and our public infrastructure to support that. And right, right now we're paying for care in all of these super expensive, unsustainable, inefficient ways. If we actually pooled our resources together in a social insurance model, we could actually afford care, we could streamline access to services, we could make it flexible to meet our different needs as families, and we could have access to the support we need at every stage of the lifespan. And instead of thinking about childcare here and elder care here mm -hmm. and disability support here, it's actually all of these programs were families. And regardless of how you define a family, we're all caring for people we love and we should be supported in that. And that's the idea behind universal family care. What work are you doing to advance that right now? Because it sounds incredible. Doesn't it sound good? It kind of sounds obvious, like kind of, kind of like, why don't we have this? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Um, well, so I think that in the context of our economic recovery, we can make a huge leap forward towards universal family care and really expand the services that we need. Um, and the first big step is getting people to say to their elected officials, this is a priority and we can't do this alone. This is the role of government. If this were a problem the market could solve, it would have solved it already. Mm -hmm. And it can't. So we need the government to support. And we're all going to chip in and make it work. But we actually need a public infrastructure to support it. And I think part of our economic recovery agenda allows us to have that conversation in a new way. Um, and then we just have to organize and make it happen. I recently discovered um, in, through you the supermajority handle on Instagram. What an incredibly inspiring group of amazing women. How did you get involved with it? Well, um, I co-founded Supermajority with a group of really amazing women organizers. And for those of your listeners who don't know what organizing is, it's really like the people who believe in the power of everyday people to change the course of history when we come together and we take action together. And we were watching after the 2016 election, we were watching women show up, rise up, march, protest, vote, protect our health care, do all the things and run for office in unprecedented numbers. And it was the most inspiring, hopeful thing in the country. Like literally women showed up as the most powerful force for change in the country. And so as organizers, we're always trying to amplify that, figure out how we add oxygen to it, how we channel that energy so that we can actually win on the issues that we care about and make real change in our lives. And so that's, that was the spirit behind Supermajority, just kind of following the women again <laughs> um, and just seeing the incredible um, power of women unfold and wanting to be a part of it and help channel it. Amazing. Um, you're doing so many different things. They're all connected in many ways, but you are 
really making change on many different levels, which sounds tiring um, and like a lot of work. And you also have your your family. How do you make the juggle all work on a daily basis? It's interesting. I sometimes I do feel tired and most of the time I feel so fortunate because I think in the context of this crazy moment in our country's politics and this crazy moment of a pandemic, like I never could have imagined what we would be experiencing right now. And the, the thing about it that is so, um, that I really sit with that I feel grateful for every day is that I am part of an organization, the National Domestic Workers Alliance and caring across generations, our campaign around caregiving, um, super majority. I'm connected to these communities that create an incredible sense of resilience and possibility in the midst of crisis. And I never feel alone. And I always feel like there's, I know what to do next, which is an amazing thing. Like, I don't know how we're going to get to where we want to go necessarily, but I'm always able to take the next best step. And there's something really energizing about that. Um, And, and why I really encourage people to get connected to organizations that are engaged in social change. It doesn't matter the issue, whatever issue you care about, Mm. because there's something very hopeful about being connected to your own sense of agency amidst crisis. And that really helps to keep me grounded in the context of my family too, because I know that everything that I'm doing is about what kind of world and country we leave behind for our kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to look back on this time. Like I know Addie is going to ask me someday if she, I don't know if she's going to remember what she's going to remember from this time, but she will ask like, what were we doing? What were you doing? And to be able to say, I did my best and Mm -hmm. we did our best and we were a part of the solution, I think is something that means a lot to me as a parent. How do you think your motherhood has informed your work? You you just touched a little bit on how sort of your, your work is impacting your motherhood. How does it go in the other direction? Mm, great question. Um, I have a friend named Marisa who's also an organizer. She runs an organization called Mi Gente, and she said it so beautifully one day. She talked about how um, motherhood is often seen as this kind of soft, gentle kind of role, but really it's like a fierce role, and that caring is is fierce in that you would do anything for your kids, right? And um, and the kind of courage that that instills in you, the kind of clarity of purpose, the determination. If someone comes for your kid, no, that's not happening, right? <laughs> right. And, and the kind of fire and power and clarity that that brings, I think, um, is something that can't be underestimated. And I think about that a lot. Like I'm Marshall 
the fire of parenting um, when I have to marshal fire. Um, and, uh, and it's really, it's, it's a kind of fire that's rooted in love, mm-hmm. which I believe is um, the most powerful force for change. And, um, and so it really being a parent helps me tap into that um, in, at times when it's hard to do that. Thank you for sharing that. I end every episode asking each guest the same question. What advice do you have for your pre-mom self? I was just talking to another friend who is um, trying to have a a baby right now about this question. And um, I think that it is about having, about thinking proactively about what kind of parent you want to be and what are the values that you want to guide the way that you parent. Um, and, and it's a very specific thing, you know, it's kind of like the first time I went to a leadership training, I was like, oh, wow. I mean, I've been, I had been to so many trainings on, you know, how to balance a budget or run an organization or, but I hadn't really been to a training that was focused on me and my leadership and how to show up better as a leader or show up as the leader that I wanted to be. And I think if we put some dedicated time and attention to what kind of parent we want to be and kind of make a plan around it, you know, and that plan will kind of get thrown out on day one. (laughs) But having had the, given yourself the time to really think about that and talk to your care squad about your own vision for how you want to parent um, proactively, I think that that is really, really important. I wish that I had, I mean, being a step parent is a little different and it's, it's so complicated um, and it's also such a gift and, um, and really every parenting dynamic is complex in its own way. And the more proactive space you give yourself to bring intention to it, Mm. I think the better. Sounds like such a no brainer to think of before you have a child or bring a child into your life that you should have this plan. And yet it feels hard. It feels hard to, to do that and to imagine what that role is going to be like. How, how have you identified the things that are really important to you and that you want to impart um, to your stepdaughter? Um, you know, I didn't have that <laughs> that vision, which is why it's like, you know, in hindsight, the, right, hindsight's 2020. What would I, what <laughs> right. I have done? Um, but since then, I've done a lot of reflecting on it. And I think I started with thinking about the parents that I really admire. You know? um, the parts of my parents' parenting that I really valued, the parts of my friends who are parents, um, and what I really valued in their parenting styles or what I knew of it. I mean, obviously, you, you don't know until you're, you know, but, um, and then just tried to imagine like, what could I bring? Um, of those qualities and those practices or those kind of postures or ways of being 
into the way that I parent. Um, so it's always about looking for models. Mm. And the other thing is, is like, I think we don't think about mentorship in parenting very much mm -hmm. either, you know? Um, and I think mentorship is so important in every aspect of our lives. And if you can find someone who um, you think is wise, you know, when it comes to parenting or in general, um, and have that person, ask that person to be your parenting mentor, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's tough because nobody thinks that they're a great parent, um, but there are people who have really thought a lot about it and um, and have made it like really central to their purpose in life. And um, and there's just a lot to learn from other people's experiences. So I don't know, maybe you get a parenting mentor. <laughs> I love that concept. It's fascinating to me how there's so much focus when... Uh, on pregnancy and reading and all of these books and, and so many people soak in all this knowledge for what ultimately is a relatively short period of time that you're bringing this life into the world, but then they don't pick up a book again, or it can feel really challenging to access those resources, or you don't fully know where where to begin. So I I love your approach of thinking who who do you see doing it well or that you'd like to be and and really reaching out to them as a mentor and I've I've never thought of it in that context but it could be very powerful. Yeah, I think so and I and I think like anything else it's like you take the best and you leave the rest, you know. I mean, um there's no one way to do this, right? And um, and our errors and our failures are part of how we grow in everything, including parenting. Um, so it is about, yeah, finding the models, but only taking what's useful. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me, with our listeners today, um, and sharing your, your hope, your optimism, and your words of wisdom. Thank you for having me. So fun. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Garsh, and this is Work Like a Mother. I'm excited to share another amazing Working Mama story with you next week. But before I go, I have a quick favor to ask. Please help us spread the word by giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way for more working moms to discover our show. Thanks, and have a great week. Thanks.